Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Matt Hawkins. He is founder and managing partner at Entourage Effect Capital. We're going to talk about what's going on in cannabis on the investment side, on the money side, really kind of where are we as an industry? What are the factors that are going into kind of shifting the forces here? Uh, you know, everything's kind of evolving and maturing in cannabis. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, new, new people, new investors, new interests. Uh, obviously, the, you know, we're still grappling with kind of the legalization issue, but that seems to be changing as well. So I'm really curious to talk with Matt about this and kind of hear what he's seeing in the market, what trends are in place and, and what might be coming down the road. So with that, Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure as always. So um, why don't we just kind of catch up a little bit and then we can talk about what's going on. Um, yeah. Any developments for you and Entourage in terms of the last couple months, things that have been exciting, things you've been working on? Give us some updates. Sure. Well, we've got, um, you know, more capital to deploy. We're, uh, you know, we, we now manage uh, out of uh, three funds and multiple special purpose entities, you know, over 200 million and um, albeit in private equity terms, that's small, but in cannabis, that's a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, because it's still it's all from 
high net worth individuals or family offices. And so no institutional capital really, but, yeah. but you know, the, the good news is, is that we're able to write bigger checks. The industry's matured enough to where we can use traditional metrics now to underwrite these deals like, you know, multiples on EBITDA and multiples on revenue. And when we first started this in 14, that was non-existent. So it's a lot, it's a lot easier to underwrite. Yeah. And what do you notice in terms of the people actually investing in cannabis? Is this kind of the same people, just bigger checks? Are there new folks coming in? I mean, I know this is all kind of private money yeah. and family offices, but are are you seeing a shift in the players involved? It's it's a combination of both things you just said. I mean, I think the people that came in early, you know, that had staying power that, that are now, you know, doing it in a, in a larger scale. So the people that, depending on when they came in, 14, 15, 16, or 17, they either made money or got burned. And so yeah. uh, that's a little bit different. But but there's also some larger family offices that are tipping their toes in the water. And, you know, we're just, we're fortunate that we've been around long enough to where we can get a bite at that apple when they're, when they're interested. Yeah, yeah. And so what's on the horizon for you right now? I mean, I, you know, a lot has been happening in, in cannabis. I mean, we're kind of, you know, hopefully coming out of the pandemic or at least, you know, in, in stage two of the pandemic, you know, big, big changes this last year, or at least a lot of kind of interesting shifts in the market, you know, as cannabis was declared, you know, essential and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of shifted a lot of paths. Where are we now? Like, what are the what are the things going on that are really try, driving the cannabis industry? Well, it's interesting because, you know, last year, COVID was a blessing in disguise for the industry yeah. and everything was just flying high. Well, now you've got, you know, public companies getting judged on comparisons to, you know, the quarters from this time last year. And, it, and it's a difficult, <laughs> uh, it's, it, there's a, it's a difficult comp. So yeah. I think we're seeing some normalization there. I mean, look, the public markets have been depressed for, for really no good reason. I mean, you know, companies for the, mo- the, the top tier MSOs are performing well, even the tier two and tier three companies that, that, that we follow or that we're invested in are, are doing well. The good news for us as private investors is that valuations have come down and we can place some bets that we think are not only good, but cost effective too. And so um, you're seeing a lot of that. You're seeing a lot of consolidation, both at the you know high levels and mid to lower tier levels too, both in private and public deals. I think everybody's sensing that there's something seismic happening at the federal level, mm-hmm. whether it's now or three to four years from now, but it's going to happen. I mean, it's. Yeah. I think the, the fact that it's just the inevitability is is just undeniable at this point. So, yeah. uh, so that's what's exciting, and the industry is is starting to react a little bit to that. Got it. What when you when you're looking at companies these days, what are you looking for in terms of you know valuation or activity? Is this is Price performance? Are you are you looking at you know quarter over quarter or comparables to last last year same quarters? Are you looking at kind of strategic positioning? I mean, what's what's really kind of the the calculus that you use to to figure out if a you know company is valued well or you know too high? Well, or it seems like you're you're company. reading off our due diligence checklist right now, Bruce. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, I mean those are real real metrics. But the the big thing that we look for right now and out of our uh, third fund is the is building scale. I mean, we we want to okay. we want to take as many sectors as we can, find the top three players, and either figure out a way to bring them together or capitalize one or two of them to um, to create that scale in advance of legalization. Because I mean, the, let's face it: when Blackstone enters this space, they're not going to be writing ten or a hundred million dollar checks. They're going to be wanting wanting to deploy you know over tens of billions of dollars in this industry. So it's. Um, that's the opportunity at hand, and luckily, you know, we've got the the ability to 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 capitalize these 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 companies to be able to accomplish that. 
Yeah. Is, is this industry really ready for tens of billions of dollars? <laughs> like I gotta like I gotta look at these companies and think, wow, like if we really go federally legal and this money just floods in, like what's gonna happen with this industry when that actually takes place and companies like Blastonic are coming in and deploying that kind of capital? It's gonna look a lot different. I mean, I think that unfortunately a lot of the smaller companies are gonna get squeezed out, uh, or they're gonna have to figure out how to to join forces with some of the larger ones. I think some of the top tier MSOs will look similar, but you know, I mean, Constellation's going to have more of a presence with Canopy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's just going to be it's going to be a different feel to it. It's going to be more like alcohol and spirits, and hell, even pharma and and yeah. tobacco. I mean, we just but crystal ball stuff is is hard, but but it's but it's there's no doubting that that it's just a it's just a lot of capital that's going to come in here and things are going to change. I mean, for us, you know, we've been like I said, we were lucky to be early on. We've got a lot of investments made out of, you know, our our second fund and now third fund and fund 1 has been for the most part fully liquidated. There's a lot of there's still some great holdings we have that'll be driven up by legalization. But, you know, the, the big benefactors of this will be our um, investments that are in our second and third funds. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I've certainly noticed in working with a lot of companies in this space, particularly the ones that are kind of growing quickly and getting bigger, is just the, the availability of management sort of talent and skills and capacity and kind of an, enough folks at these different kind of operational and strategic levels. I mean, what what's your experience at this point in terms of kind of the leadership, management capacity? I mean, do we have do we have enough people in the space to handle this growth? Are we going to have to grow leaders very quickly? Are we going to bring in folks from other industries? Well, how do you think that's going to play well, out? Interestingly, I mean, just in the past six to nine months, I feel like there's been a huge influx of talent that is that is either entering the space or has indicated an interest in entering the space. Yeah. And, and I think that's only going to continue. And that's from the sea level on down. Um, yeah. So that that to me is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, mean, I think probably two, three years ago, it was a huge bottleneck for a lot of companies. I mean, we just couldn't, we couldn't find the right people and people that were coming into the space, you know, if you're transitioning from, you know, pharma, biotech, you know, consumer goods, like it was, it was a rough transition <laughs> for a lot of folks. I mean, do you think the industry has matured or changed a little bit that makes that transition easier or what's, again, how, how are you seeing kind of this talent kind of adapt, adopt to the world of cannabis? Um, I think, well, let's, I'll, I'll answer it this way. I think the influx of talent has been primarily driven by the removal of the stigma and the fact that there is such a asymmetric opportunity that, that exists now that wasn't as visible as it is now a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about this consolidation. You mentioned it a couple of times. I mean, where are we? You know, every, every industry kind of goes through this early stage. You get a lot of players. They kind of kind of frame the market. Things grow. And then, you know, things start to consolidate, merge, combine. Wh- where where do you put us on that kind of industry cycle? Are we the beginning of this curve, middle of the curve? Are we reaching the end? What's your take? It probably depends on every sector is a little bit different. I mean, like the, if you take the multi-state operators, especially the tier one multi-state operators, you've been, you've seen, I mean, there's constant communications about either combining forces or business combinations, or even just, uh, you know, straight M&A that trickles down all the way to, you know, some of the subsectors on the private side. So I, I just think it continues and it, but it's kind of on a parallel path as it was with, uh, with some of the larger players. Yeah. 
Any sectors in this? I mean, because we're, we're dealing with the cultivators, the processors, the labs, the retailers, and certainly products and services. I mean, where where do you see kind of the heat and where do you see the consolidation first kind of happening around this? Um, at the very top, for sure, is the, the leader of all this. Um, but, you know, even in the, uh, on the technology side, I mean, there's... Yeah. Supply chain management companies are, are, are joining forces, constantly trying to figure out how to work together. Yeah. Um, you've got, I mean, you know, there's also even even in the, the genetic space, I mean, people are yeah. constantly trying to figure out how to come together. So it's really more about, and, and you know, a lot of this, Bruce, is driven by the dearth of capital. I yeah, mean, some of these exactly. companies are just needed. They, they can't, yeah, like, where, how do I get money? How do I, how does this work for me in a more, uh, you know, meaningful business capacity because I, since I don't have access to that kind of capital or can I get access to capital if I'm if I'm larger and and, and the answer to all that is usually that's what it takes yeah so um, and it's just not going to change and, and because even when institutional capital comes in you you need to be larger to attract the kind of capital that's going to be put into into play here yeah so even even if there's billions of dollars available if the companies aren't sort of big enough to absorb that kind of capital it's just not going to get put onto the field yeah that's right yeah what um, in terms of the kind of the technology side of things, like I've been I've been talking with folks, kind of interviewing some folks that are looking at, you know, other ways of kind of producing cannabinoids at scale. And they're looking at laboratory, you know, quote unquote, sort of synthetic or lab lab developed or, you know, grown in bioengines and things like that, you know, versus basically an agricultural play. I mean, do you see do you see the future of ag- of sort of cannabis production still being agricultural, you know, growing plants, or do you see some of these other alternative methods, you know, getting foothold or being interesting, you know, if we're really talking about big cannabis and and going more of a consumer good route? Well, there's no doubt that it's going to be an agricultural play, but that also doesn't mean that there won't be room for breeding, clones, other genetics, biosynthesis, you know, all those types of of things exist. Exist and you know and and large agricultural crops to a certain extent, and so I, I don't think the cannabis industry is going to be any different. Yeah, and you yeah. see what you are seeing is a huge influx of horticulturalists that are entering the space that that are really more on the vegetative side than they were anything else, and and some of which had no experience in cannabis. But guess what? They're pretty damn adept at growing this stuff, and yeah. it's yeah. And <laughs> they the, can grow plants really, yeah, really well. <laughs> and, and the days of having a you know, a master grower that was had been growing illegally in Oregon for five generations. I mean, it's not like I mean, that's all that existed at 14. And those were, you know, they were hot commodities back then. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Let's talk a little bit about kind of really how this might play out from a legalization standpoint. I mean, I, so assuming we get some kind of federal rescheduling or legalization. I mean, states have put in huge amounts of money to set up these local state economies and do licenses and people have invested in facilities and all this kind of stuff. I mean, how's this going to play out? I mean, I I can't imagine that, you know, um, you know, a state that Vermont is going to all of a sudden open it up and allow Humboldt weed, you know, start flooding into the market. I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, do states are going to protect this? Like how, how does that play out? So, Let's take a step back. And first of all, I agree with everything you say, but I think, but let's kind of, at least I'm going to give you my opinion on what I think is, sure. is, uh, is the best case scenario. And that is something like the States Act passing first. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the states are, are not going to allow to lose their tax revenue in any form or fashion. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, exactly. California is a perfect example. I mean, they don't, they're not going to just allow other flour to come into the state. It's just not going to happen. And then you use Vermont as an example. Well, same thing. 
but but California can move the needle a little bit more. <laughs> so yeah. So there's that. But then you also the problem is is that as excited as everybody was about movement towards legalization, then all of a sudden the Schumer bill comes out. And mm-hmm. interestingly, that was right around the time that the stocks in cannabis started their floundering. And mm-hmm. I think I don't think that was directly attributed to it, but it was but I think everybody realized that there's no way in hell that's passing in its current form. I mean, yeah. there's there's more taxation. There's, you know, doesn't articulate how uh, crossing state lines is going to work. And, but yet, yep. but yet it dis- it acts like it's just going to happen. Uh, <laughs> it so, uh, assumes it's there. Yeah. But then, you know, there's also the very, very, very important component of, of social equity. But it's so, why do we have to combine the two? And it's, and I, and I don't, I don't see the need or, or the, it just makes it so much more complicated. Why can't we have two different bills that are going side by side that can do both? So it's just a trying to combine the the commercialization slash legalization advancement of of this industry right alongside the social equity part of this is incredibly important. But it doesn't have to be bundled all in one. In fact, that makes it more messy and complicated, in my opinion. So I just think there's a lot of wood to chop there. The good news is, is that it hasn't changed you know, the, the public opinion. I mean, I think, I mean, it really is one of the only non, one of the few bipartisan issues that exists out there. And so even Republicans, I think are realizing at least the centrist to mid right are thinking that, you know, why aren't we taxing and regulating this? This is crazy. It already exists. Yeah. So we're close. We're a hell of a lot closer than we were, you know, a couple of years ago. So that's, that's really all that matters. Yeah. What are the dominoes that have to fall in this? Is this is this the conservative Republicans need to kind of change their stance? Is that a couple of more states need to go that are going to shift the balance here? Is well, this I mean, the, yeah, I mean, Biden's look, agenda like all, what, all, what's going to make it I'm, all the you know with the eastern states already going now. I mean, it's there's I mean, shit. We, over half yeah. the, of the population is is in a legalized state. I think two, I think two thirds are in a medicinal state. So yeah, the thing that has to happen is the Safe Banking Act needs to pass first. And, yeah. and once that happens, I think things will really start to domino because that's the banks need and want this. They're tired of, of not being able to play in this industry or at least play in a way that doesn't keep their hands tied so much with yeah. all the regulatory red tape. So I think that will drive some institutional capital in the game just with that alone. I mean, there was even talk at some point that it would open up the NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange. I don't think that'll happen right away. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but, I, didn't, uh, I, I wouldn't assume that right away. I don't think so, but I think there were, but who knows? It could. Hope. So <laughs> um, I just I just think that we're gonna, there's going to be so much financial pressure, especially as New York and New Jersey come online yeah. recreationally, that it's just undeniable. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Is there anything in, in how you see New Jersey and, and New York kind of playing out that you're focused on? I mean, you're, you're dealing with obviously huge markets. You're also dealing with markets that are right butted up against each other. You know, like it's an interesting dynamic and in how these, you know, how they create their regulations, how they end up, you know, putting together their boards, you know, the licensing processes. What are you watching for the Northeast here on on how this plays out? Well, I'm watching it from afar, quite frankly, because the reality is, is that we as a firm, aren't going to be involved in the actual pursuit of licenses. But once those licenses are obtained, I mean, that's when we come in and we capitalize or, or work with the entities that um, that have procured those licenses. So that's really yeah. up to them. to, to and, and, and that's why we rely upon management teams to to execute and, and drive the, the success behind that. Does that mean that we're putting all of our chips in a couple of baskets? No. And we, we, we've got multiple companies that we know of that are looking to expand through licensing efforts in those states. But we do rely upon them to to uh, to deal with the 
the agencies at hand to get those licenses. Yeah. I'm curious if you've been watching or, or what your thoughts are in terms of the kind of the beverage category and then this kind of consumption lounge category mm-hmm. in that it seems like, I mean, a lot, a lot of people are kind of framing this as being like the next growth of cannabis. You know, if we can, we can really kind of compete with alcohol, both, both on a consumption, on an effect and a time frame, but then also the lounge, the, the public consumption, the lounge model like uh, do you see this as like a big growth area i mean what's your take on beverages and consumption lounge big fan of both probably more so the beverage space uh, yeah. i mean we were we've invested in a couple of deals i mean one of which is uh we're investors in can in california which is a great product and they're, and they're also in gti states too so in the midwest so you know, but the whole concept of microdosing through beverage or or edibles, I mean that 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 to me is the is the new frontier because that gives people who aren't experienced with flour the ability to kind of yeah. you know inch their way <laughs> into a yeah. into a high or a, just to you know to get that psychoactive effect that they might normally do with beer, wine, and spirits. Yeah, um, being able to either a have a a mocktail that has THC in it or a, a packet that dissolves into water or soda or something like that. I mean, that that's a it's an interesting product and it and it brings in the social aspect that's missing a little bit sometimes with cannabis. And so I think that's a huge play. Not to mention, I mean, from a form factor standpoint, just medicinally how important that is. So there's yeah. there's all kinds of different things that we benefit from with that uh, technology that continues to evolve. Yeah. And the consumption lounge, I mean, I, I know a couple of cities are starting to kind of put these in place. I mean, I, do you think, is this going to compete with bars? Is this going to be just different? Or are they just going to integrate? I mean, what what's your kind of take on kind of how it's going to change kind of the, the social fabric yeah. or the, you know, the, the landscape there? I would say, I mean, on one hand, I, I mean, just kind of just off, I mean, it's not something that I follow on a, you know, yeah. on a regular basis, but my gut tells me that, you know, by the time you get consumption lounges uh, kind of commonplace in, in the large legalized states, you're probably going to be at a point where we're damn close, if not there, to being able just to sell THC in a bar. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's, and again, it's not that far down the road. And yeah. and so there is going to be this, you know, cross-section of the two, you know, of alcohol and, and cannabis, which is why you see all these alcohol companies entering the space. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, do you think this is, they're seeing it as a way to leverage their, kind of strategy and operations and business model? Do you think this is a defensive, like, hey, this could really kind of eat into our so the, the world of alcohol? It's 100% both, it's one, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, there is no doubt they're scared to death of it, but they also want to yeah. figure out how they can just make it part of their own offering, and, and they'd be stupid not to. Yeah, just a, yet another kind of beverage category for them, Correct. you know, on top of alcohol and, and non-alcoholic beverages and it. stuff. Yeah. And what what states are most interesting to you right now? I mean, we talked a little bit about New York, New Jersey, but are, are you seeing other states that are, you know, either developing their markets, you know, that are, you know, coming into the adult use side? I mean, there's so many different kind of models yeah. out there on a state-by-state <laughs> basis. What what are you watching? Like, what's interesting for you? As so going on it's interesting. You know, we were, Fund 2 was, was so California-focused where we have such a big footprint there, which is great. Yeah. And I think we're going to have a chance to really be successful when, you know, as we start to monetize those. But it's interesting now in fund three, very Northeast, very mid-Atlantic, even in the Midwest. And, you know, we also have our eye on a lot of the Southeastern states that are, that are uh, medicinal right now. I mean, they're not far yeah. away. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hilarious because I live in Dallas, Texas. And I, I tell all my, we talk about all the time. It's like Texas will be 
not only the last state to go, but it will be full-on recreationally legal in the United States, and we still won't be. <laughs> Wait, why, why is that? I mean, is, that, is this a, a political the, thing? It's cultural very thing? much political. It's just the, the far right is, uh, uh, not to get it too political, but it's just the, the, the religious right, I'll say it that way, is just yeah. has a firm hold at the state house right now, and, it's a, and it can be frustrating. So until, until that... That and, until change. the House composition changes, like you'll, you're just you're not going to see movement on this. So. Really, it's interestingly, it's the um, it's Lieutenant Governor who yeah. oversees the, uh, the Senate. I mean, he's the one yeah. that drives all Controls of the bills, the and uh, the House can pass whatever they want. If it doesn't, I mean, but this guy um, going to stranglehold. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we're lucky that we've advanced the uh, medicinal aspect that's legal here as far as we have. And it's still not anywhere near close to where it should be. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I was curious, we, we get so kind of wrapped up in, you know, state kind of state by state politics and the industry here. Um, but you know, we're part of a global economy, right? And there's other countries that sure. are doing things in cannabis, but anything that you see going on globally that, that is interesting or that you think is going to really kind of affect things, either how we develop our policies in the U S or how the U S plays on a global field in this space. Well, I think we're a while, it's going to be a while before it's we're a global player simply because of the issues we talked about earlier with not wanting to give up tax revenue. I mean, the only way we, it becomes global is when truly is when you can start importing product from, you know, South America or Mexico or, yeah. or some, one of the low yeah. cost uh, countries. Uh, we're a long way from that. Having said that, you know, we have a, a, a fund to investment in, in Europe that is, um, they're going to be a, a big player in Germany before it's all said and done. But, but Europe is just moving very, very slowly. Yeah. Um, and what, why is that? Is it just because really of their, their regulatory? I think COVID probably had something to do with it, but yeah. um, I don't know why it's, I mean, it, it just feels like they are, um, you know, from maybe in 16 and 17, they were a year behind us. It feels like they're like two years behind us now. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. well, that's my personal opinion, but, um, but it's undeniable there that it's, that, that we're going to advance it. It's just a matter of who has the, the patience. And the problem is we're so close to this catalytic effect in the United States that it's hard to, to justify deploying capital somewhere else. Yeah, no, it's like why why go other overseas when you've yeah. got a lot of opportunities here. And I mean the one thing I certainly have found is, you know, Europe tends to be while they can be a little bit more progressive on some policy stuff, they can be much more complicated from a regulatory point of view. And I think it's happening in the US to some extent too, as 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 we anticipate or, you know, figure that some of our regulatory agencies are going to get involved in, in cannabis much more detail. You know, everyone's scrambling to some extent of kind of getting facilities up to GMP and like, you know, getting getting their operations ready for a potentially higher standard, either, you know, from a federal level or from an international level. I mean, how important do you think that is right now? Because it's going to be a balance, right? I can I can spend money on, you know, market share and getting my product out there, or I can spend money on improving my operations and my facilities. Where do you see companies kind of making that choice? And where do you think the right trade-off is for folks? Well, again, it goes back to which, A, how much, you know, how much capital do you have to deploy and where are you weak? I'll use an example of what we're doing in California with, with Harborside. I mean, we are on a mission to make that company a preeminent single state operator. And you, the only way you can do that is by being vertically integrated from soup to nuts. And we're there, but we're not quite there yet in terms of, you know, we need more retail, for example. And we're close to being able to make an announcement that'll that'll improve that. Um, but spending money to build scale and and if you're an operator to be as vertically integrated as you possibly can uh, within the, the confines of your 
you know, what the regulatory climate and nature is uh, in your state is, is, is critically important. Yeah. Matt, this is a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Entourage, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. It's uh, entourageeffectcapital.com. It's, there's an easier, you can go to eeccapital.com. Uh, excuse me, eecpartners.com. I beg your pardon. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. And then, um, you know, we've, we're, we're, we're constantly looking for, you know, great deals, you know, yeah. great investment partners and, uh, would be happy to, to, to chat. Perfect. I'll make sure that the information is in the show notes. People can click through and get it. Matt, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. You bet, Bruce. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.